you have a heart murmur. I had a physical this week, and the doctor was listening, and he was very thorough. I'd had blood work drawn, and, and uh, at my age, a physical is more than simply taking your vitals, uh, so he's very thorough. And he was listening to my chest, and he said, hold your breath. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Normally you say breathe in and out, and he had done that, but he said, I want you to hold your breath. And I did. He said, hmm. Now that's one thing that you don't like to hear from medical professionals. Hmm. And so he said, let's do that again. And then he did something else that uh, I get nervous when pastors do this or teachers do this, but definitely physicians took off his glasses and he said, do you know that you have a heart murmur? And I said, no. He said, has anyone ever told you that you have a heart murmur? I said, no. And he said, you do. And I said, no, wait a minute. At my age, I, I shouldn't have a heart murmur. I mean, I thought it was babies that it was discovered that they had a heart murmur. Or like a, a brother-in-law who had scarlet fever, he developed, you know, there was a, a problem uh, from scarlet fever that resulted in a murmur. He said, oh no. He said, as you grow old, you can develop a heart murmur because of a tired heart. A valve begins to weaken. Blood does not pump up into... He, he actually, it was so cool. He did have, and I always like visuals, as you know. He had the plastic heart, you know, and he opened it up and he said, this is the ventricle, here's the valve, and the blood comes in here and it goes out here. He said, all that blood that you've been pumping, he said, there's a little bit of blood that instead of you know, being pumped out and staying out, it comes back. And then he asked me a series of questions, which I was glad to be able to say no, 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 no to, was, do you feel tired and exhausted? And of course, I don't feel tired and exhausted ever. I'm a pastor. Um, but we're going now through the EKG, but it was remarkable to me that in a physical exam, unawares to me, there are consequences of aging. And I'm in that transition now that everyone in this room will either face or you've already faced where your awareness, increasingly aware of your age. Solomon is wrapping up his book. He's also known as Kahalathar, the preacher. And he's got a sermon for us this morning. And the big idea this morning out of chapter 12 is you're getting older every day. You're getting older. And I think that there are a number of 
young adults in this room and teenagers that you're going to dismiss early on this message because you think that it's just pertaining to us older adults who can see the end. We can see it now, the trajectory of our life, the, that distant horizon. We've now reached a, a point that we can actually see, maybe even estimate our end of when it's due. But not so much the young. We don't think about it. But this preacher wants us to think about our mortality. But he doesn't want to do so simply to plant a concluding morbid thought. But he wants to know you're getting, he wants you to, to hear this sermon that you're getting older every day. So enjoy life by remembering your Creator. And remembering that your Creator is present with you every day, goading you, nudging you, leading you along as a very personal shepherd. But He's leading you to an end. You're not going to face more the end of your days alone. You're going to face those days alone. You're going to face the, the end of your days with a Creator. So he's saying in verse 1, remember your Creator now. Begin it now in your youth. And for some of us who are older, we need to remember the Creator beginning now in our age. But the bottom line is that as Christians, the way that we can enjoy life is a mind that actively holds on and meditates and chews on and is comforted by the confidence that He who made us at birth is with us as we get old. And He's with us to the very end. And our life has purpose as He guides us along as a shepherd to even as Nathan read earlier, to our eternal home, which is His plan with Him forever. I want you to see uh, five things, five observations as we walk through these Scriptures. First of all, I want you to see that you do live in a broken world and you will break down. Again, this is hard for Young people, myself, when I was young, I always thought it was a morbid thought. You know, I, I was not interested in talking to an insurance agent about life insurance. That was just morbid. I didn't want to talk to a financial counselor about making a plan. I definitely didn't want to talk to a lawyer or go online and get a will. Because I didn't want to think about death. At the Citadel... At the chapel, these words are blazed and they're carved in stone at the entrance. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. But that's it. It doesn't have the second part of the clause. It doesn't have the second clause of this verse. Because, why? Why, do I, why should I remember God now in my youth? And he said, because the days are drawing near when you'll say, I have no pleasure. And the word there for evil, don't think so much about 
living in wicked days, evil days, bad times. Think about living in a fallen world. We live in a world where we're going to face disappointments. And we live in a fallen, broken world where death was not supposed to happen in the new created world, but in a fallen world. Sickness, disease, death, the decline in age. Bodies that were made to be immortal are now mortal. Skin that was not made to to tear or to be cut or lacerated now is frail as you get old. He's saying remember that. Don't be naive. Don't be completely sad about it that you do live in a fallen world and you have a fallen body and it is breaking down. But with that, with this knowledge, let it sober you as you face a body that is breaking down. And then he goes in verses 2 through 7. And I love this because he uses metaphor after metaphor to describe old age. So let me tick these off in verses 2 through 7. But in your mind, I want to invite you to think, how many of these can I tick off that I'm personally experiencing? And again, for the young among us, it's coming. That was my first point. Verse 2. Before the sun, the light, the moon, the stars are darkened, and the clouds return. What he's talking about is your vision. Your vision beginning to get dim before the, the stars even become dark. And the, the clouds return after the rain. After a rain, it would be a brilliantly clear blue sky. But here he's saying that even after the rain, the clouds come back. Things are still blurry. You need eyeglasses, which they didn't have at that time. As you age, your sight begins to become dim. Verse 3 in the day when the keepers of the house tremble. This is, this is referring to your hands. The hands, because who keeps the house? This is talking about who protects the house. Who fights for the house? Who is the protector of your house? Well, it's you. And what do you fight with? Your hands. But now there's a bit of palsy. There's a little tremble. Or your grip begins to weaken. The strong men are bent. The back, you begin, as John Hilder says, to take vitamin I every day. The grinders cease because they are few. Grinders, the teeth. The teeth are not as durable. Um, I went to um, my dentist who is in the, you know, the Melcher universe, keep it in the family, great dentist. And I said, listen, you know, I've got this problem with my lower teeth. They're just, they're, I think I need braces. And I never thought that at my age I'd be asking a, dinner, a dentist about braces, but is there something you could do? And he said, well, have you ever thought about implants? And I'm like, no, not implants. Why, why can't you do braces? And he says, well, he says, you're getting old. Well, what's that got to do? He says, your teeth start to shift. 
hey guys, you got this to look forward to. He said, no braces are going to be able to control that. He said, now we can pull them all out. We put in this, this support work that we then drill into and we make it all. But he says, that's artificial. It's implants. Grinders began to not function like they once did. You, verse 4, the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. He's talking about hearing here. There's, there's the doors on the street, my, my hearing. We begin to consider hearing aids. The doctor that looked in my ear recommended a solution to clear out the wax in my ears. Honey, this is why I don't listen. You say I don't listen, but I really do. I just can't hear you. So waxy buildup, as gross as that sounds, or hearing aids, those doors begin to shut. But I also see something else here. Opportunity. Things that we wanted to do in life begin to no longer be possible. A number of years ago, um, a seminary friend and classmate called me, and we were planting a church in Florida at that time, and he said, can I come and stay a couple of days with you and Wendy? We said, sure. So he drove from Missouri, and while he was there over dinner, I said, so what's up? What brings you to Florida? And he said, spring training camp. Now, he was in his 30s. And he said, I've always wanted to play professional baseball. And this is the last year for those days at spring training when they just allow anybody to walk up and try out. It's the last year before I age out of tryouts. What was he doing? He was realizing that a dream that he had held on to was getting ready just by age to no longer be possible. And as you get old, you can begin, grumpiness can begin to set in because a lot of your dreams you realize now, post-middle age, you'll never have that boat or you'll never live in that house or location. You'll, you'll never travel to certain places you're those things just because of age and time, even physical ability will no longer be true. And then the sound again, auditory, the grinding is low, so the that, that wheel, the sounds of machinery harder to detect. And and the, the bird, though, in the morning, you do hear. So the smallest of sounds sometimes disturb your rest, while other sounds you can't quite make out. Verse 5, afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. You began to, mountain hikes become less risky. Exposed areas, stairwells or stairways you lean a little closer to the rail or the wall. Your heights, you know, a 16-foot ladder looks way dangerous. Whereas a young person, it was nothing. 
The almond tree blossoms. What is that? It's talking about the almond tree with its white blossoms. The hair begins to turn gray. First a little, and then perhaps complete. The grasshopper drags itself along. Muscles begin to weaken or palsy. They begin to lose their tone and their shape. You can't jump quite as high as you used to. Men particularly learn the humble, humble request to younger men. Maybe you need in moving a friend to get on that end of the piano. I don't move pianos anymore, particularly down stairwells. Muscles begin to weaken. Desire fails. Now, I actually take a little bit of umbrance with the ESV here because originally... It is the caper berry becomes ineffective. And the caper berry was an aphrodisiac, much like uh, Viagra or other things. And it's, you're getting old. Sexual desire begins to wane. Because a man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. There's a story of a Scotsman by the name of Angus, and he's on his deathbed. He is dying. And as he's laying there, friends, family have already come by and given their condolences. Angus, there's nothing we can do. We're we're so sorry. We're going to miss you, and we're praying. He smelt something from his bed upstairs that was delicious. It was warm and sugary goodness filling his nostrils. And he leaned out of his bed and saying, That, I've got to, I've got to follow that smell. I've got to have that. And so he kind of rolls out of bed, makes his way along the wall. He gets to the stairwell and he just kind of crawls down the stairwell with every bit of energy he has. He goes into the kitchen and his wife has been baking all morning and fresh scones of every variety are on every surface. And so making it to the kitchen, he reaches out with trembling hand for one of those scones. And then out of nowhere, a spatula smack Angus Those are for your funeral. We're not, we're thinking about, as you get older, we're thinking about our mortality. And yes, others, maybe children, maybe a mate, they're thinking about funeral arrangements. They're thinking about palliative care. They're thinking about us in that way. Aging is a struggle. It will come to us all. It is not fun. He gives us a picture that we can capture this in, and that is in verse 6, where he says, the silver cord, the golden bowl, the pitcher, and the wheel at the cistern. 
Now, what he is describing is he's describing there's a, there's a sun-silvered cord or rope that goes to a, a bucket or a bowl that goes down into the cistern with a wheel. And it draws out water for the pitcher that awaits it at the top. In 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14, we read, We must all die. We are like water spilled to the ground which cannot be gathered up again, but God will not take away life. And he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. So what he's saying is life is like water. And Ecclesiastes preacher is using a technique here to give us an illustration, a picture. And he's saying it's like your body now is a shell of the well and that could draw deep. It had life-sustaining water. In the Bible, water represents life. And now you can't quite draw all the life out of this shell of a cistern anymore. The cord is breaking or broke. It's snapped. can't draw deep anymore. It adds great, great meaning and hope when in John 4, verse 14, Jesus says to the woman at the well, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Our body is breaking down. The well of life is not simply dry, but we have no way to get more from the fountain of youth. We are going to continue to age. So he looks at us, and in verse 7, he tells us finally that like a creator made us from the dust, we're going to return to the earth. That's the end of the body. But the spirit, the soul, is going to be with God forever in its destination. In verse 9, he wraps up this book by giving us, this is like an author's summary, maybe even an epilogue. And he wants to tell us that we now have, by his effort, a book that we can navigate life as God has meant it to be. He says in verse 9 that I I am wise, but I don't simply hold my wisdom to myself for myself. I've gone to great effort to teach people. And not only teach people knowledge from weighing and studying and traveling and looking and concentrating and arranging all these proverbs, but I've actually, in verse 10, I have written words of truth. And I've looked and I've sought to include words of comfort and delight. Yes, life is hard and it's a struggle. But remembering our Creator, knowing that we are God's and we are going to return with God and everything in between coming from God and going to God is a walk with God, our Creator, that there's confidence 
But we can age gracefully. We can age even more with more intimacy with God and not forsake Him. We won't, he won't fail us in the end and we won't fail Him. He tells us that He is indeed a wise preacher and now He wants to apply these things to us. And I simply want to ask, do you have this book and do you value it as any captain of a ship would in sailing through your life and navigating through your life? The temptation is going to be to look to other things. And you can be strongly tempted as a Christian, to become a Christian mime. In other words, I as a preacher, I'm reading to you from the Bible. I'm preaching and teaching you from the Bible. But if this is all that you're reading, if you're not reading it for yourself, then you're actually acting out of what I'm seeing in the Bible, and you're, you're miming, as it were, me or others you're looking to wise ones and you're hearing their wisdom and you're acting on the basis of their wisdom when God says I have given you a wise book and I speak through this book are you navigating your life from this book are you reliant upon others to navigate for you God this preacher is placed, and he's given us the book of Ecclesiastes for us to navigate our life, and it's the only way that you'll be able to live the life that God wants you to live, and with joy, with delight. So just, it's, do and budget the time. And I promise you, as you get older, I mean, when I talk to new believers when I talk to young Christians, I plead with them to budget 15 minutes a day. If I have, if my devotions in the morning are less than an hour and a half, I feel cheated. I wish I knew what I'm hearing and learning and am comforted by now. I wish that I had taken the hour and a half a day that I have afforded to me at my age back when I was 21. Then, 15 minutes was about all I could budget. Now, I would love to spend all day in this. It has become, it has truly become, not only a delight, but a great guide for that day ahead and the weeks ahead for my life. Um, fourthly, the words of God's wise Solomon is one of God's inspired, wise men. Wisdom came from God. He used his wisdom for God, and he's communicating it to us. So he's an inspired author of the Bible. He speaks for God. And so the words of God's wise ones, and there's, this could include the Apostle Paul, this could include David, the psalmist, but the words of God's wise are goads from the shepherd and better than this world's books. 
And you might remember in Acts 26, when Paul was confronted on the road of Damascus, he cried up into the heavens and said, Who are you? God has stopped him in his journey from persecuting Christ's followers. And he's, he cries out, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you kicking and bucking me trying to point the way that you're supposed to go? Why are you kicking against a sharp, pointy object. Um, when, I grew, when I was growing up, we had cattle, show cattle, uh, pedigree animals. And we would take them uh, in the fall of the year around to all the county fairs. My next door neighbor was my cousin, and he had show pigs. Okay? So when you show an animal... When you show cattle, you go, you've got a harness and, and uh, you've got a big ring and everybody is walking their animals, their cows around in a circle and you have a stick, looks like a staff, a shepherd's staff, but it's got a screw, maybe a nail in the bottom. It's a goad. So that you get to the point the judge He'll say this, you're going around, and he'll say this, and you stop. And whenever you stop, you try to place their feet so that they are in a perfect square. And so you'll take that nail or that screw, and you'll touch their feet, and they'll pull them, and you keep doing that until that foot is placed where you want it. Across the yard, way across the yard, I might add, are the pig barns. They don't have a shepherd's staff with a nail. They've got a cane. They've got a wooden, looks like a walking cane. And the way that you go to pig is not prick them to nudge them along, but you, you don't, you, the judge will do like this, and you're running them around in a circle, herding them around, and he'll do like this, and you're supposed to try to stop them, but you use the cane to tap them on the side of the head. And when it comes time to stop them, you whack them on the front of the head. I think often, is Jesus my shepherd? Is he pricking my heart and nudging me? Or is he whacking me on the head? Jesus is our shepherd and we are his sheep as believers in Christ. What does it take to move you? Some of you right now, he is whacking you on the side of the head to lead you along and you don't like it. Or as I've told Wendy, there are certain areas in my life that I just feel like I'm hemmed in. I'm just, I, 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 I am, I don't really want to do this, but I just feel like, I feel like I'm being hemmed in. There are other areas that it feels more like a prick. It's small, it's sharp, but that's the way the shepherd is leading. He says that these words 
our light goes. We're not left to completely figure it out. As you were trying to to submit to these words that God might navigate your life, He will navigate with these goads. Sometimes it will be closed doors. Sometimes it will be open doors. Sometimes it will be the conscience and tiny temperance. Lastly, you need never fear standing before your Creator in death if you hang on Him who hung for you. The, um, the words in verse 14 tell us that God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We read in Revelation chapter 20 about a great white throne and Him who was seated on it. From His presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great, the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. We need not fear that judgment day. In fact, our heart is strengthened in this life to know that there is a judgment day. We need not fear that day because Romans 8.1 says, there is now, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to be comforted by the fact when we read this, We shouldn't tremble at all. In fact, we should look forward to the great day that we stand before Him. Because we will be found in Jesus Christ. We will be found. His righteousness becomes ours. It has become that already. We will be welcomed into God's embrace, into His eternal home. We need not fear speaking to others about a judgment day. I was thinking this week, If you don't believe that God is a judge, if there is no eternal judge, then there's no judgment day, right? And if there's no judgment day, nothing will be judged. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's no judgment for anything. Then what is the meaning of this life? How do you get through this life? Is everything just arbitrary? Is everything, it just doesn't matter? Or is God saying, I want you to remember, particularly as you age, I want you to remember that you have a creator, you have a shepherd, and you do have a judge. And that this would encourage your heart to know that I will, I know the sufferings that you face. I know the injustices that you face. I know where you have been persecuted or sinned against. I know the inequities of this life. And one day that will be all made right. That gives me hope. Consolation. It also gives me a fresh fervency to pray for my family, my friends, my neighbors. It gives me fresh encouragement and incentive 
to pray for them. One final word. Um, it says there in verse 11 that not only is this one shepherd goading us along all the way home, but he's also a nail. Now there was an ancient prophecy that said that the Messiah is a peg. He's a peg. They didn't have closets in ancient Israel. So what they would do is in the home, as they would make it, they would have pegs in the wall. And you would hang on that peg the most important things. It's said that when the Messiah comes, He is the peg. He is the nail. And that's what Solomon is saying here. That not only is he a goad, but he's like a nail given by the one shepherd. So I have a question. If this coat hanger represents your life, whatever garment you want to put on it, what are you hanging your life on? What peg? And there are choices. But they will shear and break off. But Jesus Christ, your shepherd, says, give me your life. Hang your life completely on me. That's why at Two Rivers, it always comes to this table and it always comes to be about Jesus. Jesus alone. Not mere words or not other books or commentaries even. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Are we hanging our life every day on Jesus? And then I've been thinking lately, as I hang my life on Jesus, what's God hanging on me? Am I willing to wear it? God's saying, you've given me your life and you've put your life in my trust and you are following Jesus. Are you willing for me to hang things on you that you will follow Him wherever I lead? Can I trust you? You can trust Jesus. We hang our life on Him. Are we praying and saying, Lord, even old age, you can hang that on me. Even this life struggles, you can hang that on me and I will wear them. I will face anywhere you lead or anything you put on me because I'm hanging on Him who hung for me. And that's what we celebrate at this table. We see again in these objects one who visually, historically hung for us. That now we can be His and He can be ours forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do ask that You would take this bread and this cup and You would set it aside for that purpose. That as we take of the bread we will submit once again our lives. We will hang on you our nail, our peg, our shepherd, our one Lord, our beautiful Savior. And then as we take the cup, we will raise our glass in joy to say, I will follow you. You can trust me. You can hang things on me as I'm now hanging on Jesus. You can, Father, 
find me with less complaint, less anxiety, less fear to go forth and follow you. So, Father, strengthen our faith and strengthen us with you, yourself, Jesus, within by the working of the Holy Spirit as we come to this table and pray in Christ's name. Amen.